Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Howe. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about surprise billing and health equity and kind of the connection between the two. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 16 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Have you ever had a surprise bill, Colin? Oh, wait, you're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so I've never had a surprise medical bill. However, uh, I have had surprise bill when it comes to some other things that aren't covered by our health plan up here, like dental and, and a few other areas, but, but nowhere near the size and degree of what, what, what happens in the U.S., yeah, you know, I've had it, uh, but it wasn't a surprise. I knew I was going to get screwed. <laughs> so I don't know. Is that still surprise billing? Like it actually <laughs> applies to the surprise billing legislation. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I knew that I was going to get screwed because of how uh, we weren't in network and stuff. So it's it uh, it brutal. And thankfully, I had the means to just pay it and move on with my life. But it's ugly. I mean, I got to be honest, like when I first um, you know, heard about this act coming in and the controversy around it and this practice. I mean, it, I, you know, I got to be honest, I don't think people are nefarious. Like most people aren't doing this nefariously. It just sort of happens, right? Like you, you go into the hospital, you, you know, an anesthesiologist, you know, uh, has to do something. It turns out that anesthesiologist wasn't in network. And then, so they get, you get billed the out of network fee. But as a patient, I can totally understand, like, how would you have known that? There was no way you would have known that and you have no control of that. And you would think having gone to an in-network facility that everything would be covered, right? Like, so I can understand, you know, uh, that uh, why this needs to be addressed. I just didn't, I didn't think it needed an act of legislation to do that. (laughs) So, uh, Isn't it kind of sad that we need an act of legislation to do something that should be obvious? It should be, you know, especially these nonprofit health systems, and, and I agree with you that I don't think any of the doctors or nurses that are doing the work, I don't think they're doing it nefariously. There may be a few administrators who are like, yeah, let's take advantage of this. So uh, there may be a few of those, but you know, it, it, it's just sad that our healthcare system is so derived by profits that they wouldn't just naturally say, no, this isn't the right thing to do for this patient. Right. Right. And so, you know, I think, you know, you know, to me, where the tie to health equity comes in is that I hope that, you know, the the fact that now surprise billing is on the radar and people are aware of it and and it and it, you know, obviously it happens, you know, will now lead to more change and more recognition and realization of other practices that are impacting health equity, right? Like like through COVID, for example, we're learning about the disparities along geographic lines and racial lines and ethnicity and, and how, look, if you look at the mortality rates, how stark they are different, right? Depending on where you fall, you know, the same thing with the Surprise Act. I hope that, you know, this is sort of the, the beginning of more change and making things more equitable in healthcare. 
Well, and there is an element of health equity in the act itself as well, because my guess is, and I haven't seen the specific data, but it seems pretty clear that many of these diverse populations are the ones that are getting the surprise bills. They're going into a hospital where they, you know, either think they're in network or let's be honest, many of them don't even have the health literacy to understand that there is a network and that they need to go in network because of whatever insurance that they have, or, you know, they don't even have insurance, I guess then it's not a surprise, but you know, anyway, you know, as they go into these healthcare organizations, the, the literacy around billing, I mean, you and I are professionals at healthcare and this information. And, and even I go into this and I'm like, man, I don't know the answers, right? So someone who, you know, is working maybe a a lower wage job that got insurance from their organization, doesn't understand the intricacies of in-network and out-of-network and where should I go and how should I go? They just go get the services and then they end up with these surprise bills and don't know what to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other the other aspect of, of equity that I've heard, and, I've, and I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but you know, I, I, it was in a presentation and then they basically said, you know, we can't have health equity until we have price transparency, because mm-hmm. you, how can you be equitable when no one knows how much things are going to cost beforehand, right? Like we can't even start to address the problem if, you know, you're being billed way afterwards and, you know, with, with surprise billing and all that kind of thing as well. So I found that kind of interesting because again, I'm hoping that this leads to much more discussion and action around that aspect of healthcare, like the whole transparency. Cause you can, I could, I can see that the surprise, uh, no surprises act is kind of a form of, of price transparency, right? Like now, now they're squashing it, but, but now people are aware of like, okay, are you in network or not? And, and, mm-hmm. and that's the beginning, I think of some change. I hope so because it's, I think there's a lot of organizations that are profiting off the, the complexity and the confusion of it all. And, and so that's why it's going to be hard to unwind it. And that's why I'm not as optimistic as you <laughs> on, <laughs> on the price transparency actually happening is, is because so many people are profiting from it, but I agree. It's a great comment. Uh, wow. Transparency is needed for equity. It's true. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like, yeah, until you know how much things cost, like how can you, you know, how can you make it more of an equal footing or at least, you know, uh, anyway, I, I, I did find that really, that's why it stuck with me. Yeah. It reminds <laughs> me of all those, uh, you know, there's memes that come out and, this, you know, that compare it to like travel or a restaurant and they're like, yeah, come to the restaurant and we'll send you the bill two weeks later for how much that steak is going to cost. And oh yeah, that glass of wine, guess what? That one actually is our out of network cost. And so we're going to charge you five times as much. And it's like, when you put it in those words, you're like, well, we would never eat out. right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I would never go to that case. restaurant. Yeah. yeah, we would never go to a restaurant if that's how they build and we would never put up with it. But we do in healthcare, which is like, that's a mindset change too. Like, how do we change that? Oh man. Hey, listen, I know before we got on, on the air here, you brought up something that uh, uh, was really interesting, kind of related to, to equity. And that was um, uh, Rasu had tweeted out the new fund that they created, the Jumpstart Nova Fund, which is really a fund designed to uh, encourage uh, um, African-American founders in health, uh, in health innovation. And that brought up the topic of founder diversity in health IT. And uh, you had a comment around the fact that that's a form of equity. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, props to Atrium Health. And there, there's a whole number of health systems, even Eli Lilly, HCA, Cardinal Health. You know, there's a whole bunch of them uh, that are invested in this. So it's not just uh, our friend Russ but although, you know, he, he's certainly a, a major proponent of it and, and obviously pushing it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting when you think about it from a health equity perspective is, if all the founders of startup companies come from middle-class and upper-class white backgrounds, then what kind of startups do you think are going to be created? Ones that apply to middle and upper-class white because we create and we solve the problems that we can see. And so, you know, that's why so many startups think that the Apple watch is going to solve all these health problems when in fact, you know, some small percentage of the world actually has an Apple Watch, let alone even an Apple phone. You know, Android is actually the broader phone. And so, you know, you get into all these types of questions when the founders are all from a certain, you know, specific category. They don't know the other problems that the rest of the world faces because they just haven't experienced it. So that's what I love about this fund is they're Funding, you know, I think that they're focused on black majority owned startup companies that will actually have the perspective of a very diverse group of people. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think this is awesome. First of all, the that this fund exists now and, and uh, you know, that they can get support. And I agree with you. I think we, you're, you're so right when you say we solve the problems that we're familiar with. And, and that's not to say that, you know, white middle-class people don't have problems that are worthwhile solving, but there is a lack of diversity when it comes to, to founders, right? I mean, I, I deal with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in, uh, the, uh, in the innovation hub that I, that I work with. And, uh, you know, let's, I, you're right. A lot, of the, a lot of the founders come from the same backgrounds. Um, and it's only recently that we're starting to see, you know, female-led founders, right? And we're starting to see, uh, you know, uh, people of different ethnicities. And I think that's going to be a great thing because they're solving health problems from a very different perspective, uh, problems that uh, may go unnoticed by, you know, the average male, right, for example. Uh, so I, I think you're, you're right. I think um, hopefully this will mean that three, four years from now, we're going to see an explosion of new and diverse health IT companies that are doing some really exciting things. Yeah, and I'd also throw out that, you uh, if all the venture capitalists are not diverse, then it's similar because they invest in startups that aren't diverse because they see, again, the problems that they see. So I think that they're working on that in this fund as well. And, and I think we should just take a minute too. And they already have uh, four portfolio companies in the Jumpstart Nova portfolio. They have Drug VIU, which I, I'm not sure how they pronounce that, Drug View. It's a virtual platform for uh, patients with autoimmune disease. So that's pretty interesting. They have Cell Evolve, which is a biotech company that's really transforming cell therapy innovations into treatments. So interesting biotech emphasis there. Uh, teamwork is the third one. And uh, this one is actually a community-based applied behavioral analysis service in New York for children with autism. So they're focused on the autistic children. And then uh, Allerje, A-L-E-R-J-E, a Detroit-based one that's a food allergy management innovation startup. So it's interesting to see that one. I mean, food allergy has become such a big deal. And I, my guess is there's a really 
big uh, health equity issue with food allergy management too, right? Like, can you afford foods that you know don't right. cause allergies? So anyway, shout out to all those four companies that they've already invested in. Yeah. And you know what I like about those companies, John, I mean, you know, it's none of them, no, none of them use the word marketplace. <laughs> none of them are using the, the words, you know, they've come up with a new remote monitoring thing, right? Like, like these, these sound like, you know, truly clinically based, like, you know, things that are going to move a needle, maybe not for every uh, American or, or every citizen, but for those niches that they're playing in, I mean, it sounds amazing. So kudos to them. No, absolutely. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. We're talking about surprise billing and health equity today. So, John, this came up uh, in a uh, meeting I had or an interview I did around uh, telehealth. And I was quoted as saying that uh, the telehealth bubble is burst. And I think, you know, what I meant by that and, and, and I stand by it is, is, yeah, I think that the, you know, we've seen, we, we've passed peak telehealth for now. I think we're in the decline stage. I think with certainly with the rollbacks that are happening, you know, people are, are rethinking, you know, how much telehealth they're going to be really doing going forward. Uh, and, but telehealth, we've also heard many times is, you know, one of the best ways to equalize access, right? For people who, you know, can't, especially in rural areas, who can't get to this specialist, you know, telehealth has been a savior. Uh, the same thing with people who have behavioral health, who, who didn't want the stigma of going to a, a facility, telehealth has been a savior. And yeah, yet we're seeing and hearing that telehealth might be on the decline. So should we be concerned about this decline in your mind in terms of health equity, or is it a little maybe overblown? Yeah, well, I, I should have looked up the number before we started recording, but the, the telehealth advocates would say, sure, the bubbles burst, it, but it needed to. We, we, were, we were at an unhealthy level, uh, <laughs> and we know why, because of COVID. But, uh, you know, I forget the exact number, but, you know, they, they all have it out there if you go talk to any telehealth company that we're still at 65x what we were pre-COVID, right? Sure. Like, so, so the bubble is still a lot bigger, right, than it was pre-COVID. So, you know, even if it's 35 or whatever the number is, right? Um, so, you know, it's still there. I actually don't know if we're now on the decline still. I think we've, we're done with the decline. So that, that's where I see it is that we, we, we blew up to this massive bubble, then it popped and we came down and now we're seeing actually a growth because many patients enjoyed it and they're going to force the hand of some providers to say, hey, we need to do it. But from a health equity perspective, I think there's actually a more important angle. And because you're right, in some ways it provides access, but it also has the double-edged sword where if you don't have a cell phone, you don't have high-speed internet what do you do then? So in some ways, telehealth can be actually a problem when it comes to health equity. And so one solution to that is allowing phone visits. And MGMA has been a harsh, you know, I shouldn't say harsh, a, a powerful, strong supporter of, hey, we need to reimburse 
for these phone visits the way we did during COVID. And we should continue to do that, you know, and so far, I, I don't know, we'll see when the legislature, I hate predicting legislation, but, uh, you know, it seems like the right thing to do from a health equity perspective. And if they don't, that's going to be a black mark on them because many of those phone visits were the only way to get many people in these rural areas that don't have, uh, you know, access to broadband, et cetera. So, you know, that's where I would love to see some effort is let's keep reimbursing phone visits. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we talk about telehealth, but really, you know, you know, that could be that there's a broader umbrella here. It doesn't always mean video visit. It doesn't always mean, you know, seeing someone on a, on a video zoom, like call, uh, you know, telehealth can mean a telephone visit. And you're right. I think, uh, you know, maintaining that level of reimbursement, it's going to be important to maintain the access that people now feel they have uh, that was brought on necessitated by COVID. So um, yeah. And, and I think you're right, John, I think, you know, telehealth did help. And I think the rapid adoption did help in terms of giving access to people that maybe didn't have as ready access before, but it still didn't solve the problem of that last mile of broadband. Like not everybody in, in, in uh, rural areas you know, has uh, stable internet. And so they couldn't take advantage of some of these technologies. But I, I would, you know, I, so we didn't solve their equity issue, their access issues. But I think we did capture a lot more people than we did before, right? And, yeah. and you're right. I think, I, I hope the decline is over as well. I hope people are, are now waking up and I think patients are, are sort of getting more vocal around, hey, no, 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 don't, don't take this away. Like, uh, you know, I work two jobs. I can't take an hour off just to travel to your facility, right? Like, so just this telehealth appointment only takes a half hour. I can do it on my lunch break. This is perfect for me. I, th- I, I hope healthcare organizations will listen to that and realize, oh, okay, like, yeah, we, we want to keep this, even though the reimbursement might be a little bit lower because of the rollbacks or whatever, but it's helping the community. And, you know, as we move more into value-based care, I think this is going to be things that they're going to have to look at. Yeah, and I, I think there's a health literacy issue here as well because many people when they have an issue they just say oh i'll just go to the ed because they aren't uh, they don't understand oh guess what this isn't an emergency you could wait two days or or you could hop on telehealth i mean many people don't even know that telehealth is an option for them Uh, you know i think about myself i have free access to telehealth as part of my uh, insurance plan, you know, I can sign on to Teladoc and get a free visit anytime I want. It's part of the plan. It's part of the design of the plan. Have I done it? No. <laughs> it's like, it's free. I know it's free and I could go do it, but I haven't done it. And I mean, it brings up a lot of interesting questions though, around health literacy and when should we utilize telehealth or not. Maybe I should have gone in and done, you know, an annual wellness visit with it. Like I've had it for long enough. I could have done that, but I haven't. Right. So I think it's also understanding how it can be used. And there's going to take some time for us to really understand how can I leverage telehealth to make me healthier? And we're going to see a gap there too, where some people are just trying to survive. If you're just trying to figure out where your next meal is going to come from, guess what? You're not thinking about, hmm, should I go to telehealth or should I go to the ED? No, that's like furthest from your thinking. So I think that's another example of health literacy when it comes to this is like, okay, do you even know that that's an option that's available to you? And the answer for a lot of people, unfortunately, is probably no, they don't. 
John, what other health equity issues are uh, top of mind for you? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I still go back to, uh, you know, the providers that are providing the care. I think that's another issue that's really interesting. It certainly was sparked for me with the uh, my interview of Spora Health and their effort to create kind of culturally sensitive care. Um, you know, also it was sparked by, uh, you know, obviously scrolling through the Twitter feed and seeing, you know, I follow a lot of doctors there and, uh, you know, thankfully there's a, there's a, I actually love Twitter for this because Twitter is so flat that it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your connections. You know, this isn't a, a private Harvard club that you had to have been an alumni to, right? Twitter, you sign up and you just start following and people follow you back. And so in some ways that there's a power there, right? Uh, as far as equity that all of these diverse people get on and they grow a following in ways that they weren't able to do before. And, you know, I've, I've been lucky to follow a number of them. I, I've seen a number of them. I, I can't remember names exactly, but, you know, where they said, I went into the room and the patient was like, wow, I've never had a doctor that looked like me. And you hear that type of story and you're like, wow, that's powerful. I mean, I don't have that experience, right? Like pretty much every doctor I've gone to looks like me, has a background like me, educated like me, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, it helped me understand like how valuable that is because I've valued it. Well, and, and it goes, it goes, you know, related to that, you know, you hear a lot of the stories around, uh, language, right? Like not, not only background and culture, but, but language mm -hmm. and, and whether that's, you know, through telehealth and, you know, using, you know, how do we integrate translators uh, into telehealth? How do we uh, make sure that medication uh, information is printed and available in multiple languages? Uh, the same thing with surgery instructions pre or post, right? Like mm -hmm. these are now, uh, thankfully, these are now questions and requirements of technology that's implemented to solve these things, right? Like I, I don't know anybody who would implement a surgery, post-surgery uh, recovery uh, communication system for patients that wasn't multi-language capable. Yep. Because you know you you want to prevent these people from coming back to the ED, and if the if all it took was just having something in Spanish or, or something in Russian. Uh, you know, why wouldn't you do it? Right? I mean, I think proven that that makes a difference, right? I mean, it actually is a care thing. There's a cost equation. And so then it's worth doing for sure. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's a, a great form of equity. That's fairly simple to do and related to what you were just talking about. You know, it just, it, it, your patient just feels so much better. Like, wow. Okay, great. You, you've actually thought this through enough to actually give me something that's in my native language. And now I can actually follow it. Yeah. Um, and that, that, there is a big difference, right? When you're able to communicate, I mean, it, some of it's health literacy, uh, but you know, if you're getting every other word, uh, you know, it's a problem. I, I know I lived in Italy and uh, went to the hospital sometimes, right? And I speak Italian. I, I'd been there for maybe eight, nine months, right? But I brought an Italian with me because I didn't speak the language of medical that well. Right. And luckily she spoke English so we could translate her dad worked at the hospital. But you know, a lot of people don't have that benefit, right? And so understanding the details and nuances is really important. You know, there was one uh, aspect of health equity that um, I, I hadn't really thought of, and it wasn't until I got a quote um, from uh, Tom Skelton as CEO over at uh, SureScripts. You know, he uh, made a prediction of, in 20, of 2022 to say, you know, we're going to be talking about medication cost 
mm-hmm. as uh, in relation to health equity. And I hadn't really thought about that, but it, it makes a lot of sense now that I read it. You know, he was what he was talking about is that, of course, you know, the high costs of some drugs and the uh, impact that can have on marginalized patients who need those drugs, right? I, you know, and he's not suggesting that, you know, drug companies shouldn't be compensated for all the work and all the costs and everything like that. But it's just something that we're going to have to be much more aware of, right? That, you know, hey, if this is the only drug that's going to help somebody and it's super high cost, well, what, you know, what can we do? Yeah. Or, if, hey, if there's an alternative, maybe we should be looking at that. Right. As, and, and, and I think physicians will have to be aware of that. Pharmacists will have to be aware of that. Healthcare itself will have to be aware of that. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I'd never really thought about medication as a form of health equity. And, and uh, so I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty awesome quote from, from Tom. Yeah. I'm just thinking through like good RX and it, on face, you're like, Oh, it's kind of equitable. Anyone can access it. Anyone can get in there and, and get the lowest price drug, right. Which can be helpful to anyone. Right. Although, you know, we kind of already talked about some people don't have cell phones, smartphones, <laughs> so, so it's not everyone. There, there's the first one, but even more than that, say you pull up GoodRx and you're like, oh, you're paying twice as much as you should at the, at the uh, you know, pharmacy that you can walk to. But, you know, if you just go two miles away, then you could get this for half the price. You and I would look at that and say, oh, that's easy. Drive the two miles, get there, get your, you know, save half the price. It was well worth it, you know, 20 cents of gas or whatever. But, you know, for a lot of people, oh, they don't have a car. Right. So then they have to get there. Then they Uber over there. Wait, now I just lost all the money I was saving. So there is an interesting health equity piece there, right? Even with stuff where you think it would help with equity, you know, like a good RX, but there are challenges still. Yeah. And I think, again, that thing that comes from, we're still in the early stages of addressing these problems. At least we have good RX now to know that there's a disparity and that there's these mm-hmm. issues. Now we have to solve the next problem, which is, okay, yes. Now, how do people get to these places and how do people take advantage of these lower prices or these other alternatives when, when, you know, those alternatives maybe make an assumption in terms of what level people are at socially or economically, right. To be able to get to these places. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to 2022 in, in this area because I think there's, you know, unfortunately because of COVID, I think we've really highlighted the gaps. Um, but now that we are acknowledging and talking about them in the press and, and at conferences, I'm encouraged that now this is not going to go away. This is not like a fad, right? Where we're like, oh yeah, there's a lot of gaps. And then we go back to where we were. No, this, this seems to be ingrained now in a lot of product designers that I'm hearing talking about this and incorporating some equity aspects. So I'm encouraged by what uh, will happen in the next couple of years. Yeah. And in your example of medications, we need those drones to, you know, deliver the medication, (laughs) you know, you could even deliver it to a park bench, right? I'm, you know, Domino's is doing that with uh, their delivery. So uh, why couldn't we deliver some drugs to a park bench to make it easy for the people? Uh, More drones. That's, that's what we need for health. (laughs) <laughs> more drones. <laughs> we don't. We don't have though. We don't have that yet. In Canada. I want that. That'd be fun oh, to, get, yeah. to see a drone deliver some stuff. Well, I'm not sure how that works in the snow. Drones in the snow might be a problem. Oh, well, there you go. There's Vegas is where it's at. 
<laughs> if there's a if there's an entrepreneur listening out there who's can solve that problem, you're gonna have a lot of business up in the north, right? And <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but it's true though. I mean, those things could give better access to it, right? And and solve some of the transportation issues. We even see it with uh, emergency medicine getting affibrillators there. I saw someone's life saved because of that. So, you know, I I, I say it half jokingly, but it's almost here, which is amazing. There you go. Hey, listen, thanks to all of you tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.